Well, I am Pastor James. I'm the youth pastor at Grace. Pastor Benji has the day off. So I am preaching for you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, mighty holy, we praise your name. It is only by your grace that we can ever look like you. It's only by your greatness that we are blessed. Lord, open our ears to your word, even where it hurts or challenges us or frustrates us. In Jesus' name, amen. The average American spends $80 for Halloween, which is, of course, tomorrow. Happy Reformation Sunday, by the way. Of that, $25 is candy. Now, if you get confused or tune me out at any point today, unless I have flat out run out of time, which is always possible for those who know me, uh, I'm going to challenge you actually to give more than $25 out worth of candy, not less. So keep with me because we're going to be talking about money. Pastor Greg took politics from me, and I figured, well, what else could I do that would frustrate people? So I figured we'd talk money this morning and finances. But again, $80, that's, that actually isn't that bad for celebrations in our culture because compared to Christmas gifts, which we spend almost $900, it's pretty cheap, which is still less than the average expenses for prom. This blows my mind, but they average $919, including a $324 amount on the promposal. Now, adult men who have been married, think of how stressful your proposal was with a girl that you probably knew was going to say yes, and put that in high school with a girl you might be asking out for the first time, and they have a promposal. Thank you, Disney, for that. There's a movie called Prom that kind of kicked the trend off. It may not have created it, but it certainly blew it to intense proportions. That is still less than the $1,100 per year that we spend on coffee, according to a 2012 consumerist.com report. And even more on going out. 4.5% of our income and on average over $2,700 just on lunch. I spent about 25 prepping this sermon on lunches, to be honest. I just kept running late and, and running out to restaurants and and I even had a whole lunch that I thought was going to be a break. Uh, I spent at Dickie's Barbecue, great restaurant, free refills. And I realized I actually didn't eat so much. I just ran through my sermon over and over. So I ended up going home uh, a little early on that day. That's all sobering. When you read the March 8, 2016 article by Mike Holmes on Relevant.com that asked the question, what would happen if the church, and he means American church, if the church tithed? I know that's a scary word for some of you, and some of you object to it. I'll get to that a little later on. And you find out how little, when you read that report, we actually give statistically. I don't mean us here at Grace. We, of course, are different. But as a nation, as Christians. Equally sobering has been the giving report in our bulletin lately, which if you turn that over to the back, you can see so far this month, when you see that we have a shortfall for the year to the tune of almost $40,000, that's not in your bulletin. But you can look at that average that we need, and you can look at the last two weeks. And I'm using shortfall on purpose because I don't think the issue has to do with our budgeting, but our giving. Though 
for your sake, we are certainly taking a look at our budgeting process as well. It's been different this year than the other 18 years that I've done this at Grace. Grace, it might be uncomfortable for you, but it's time to talk turkey. And I don't mean how much we'll spend on Thanksgiving dinner, but that is shockingly low, all things considered. How many people you'll have over, how much food you will eat. Calorically, it's a higher cost than financially. I mean, it's time to talk about excelling at the grace of giving, which is a phrase that Paul uses with the Corinthians. Now, let me read through. This is a long passage, and I'm going to jump to the, second, the next chapter, chapter 9, for a couple verses. But I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back to some key verses. Chapter 8, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this manner. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Skipping to chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want to start with verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 3. You can go back to that. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their, on their own. Look at that last set of words there, entirely on their own. Shouldn't we not talk about money? Shouldn't we leave giving alone as pastors and Sunday school teachers and churches? Paul just said it should be entirely on their own. Well, you got to remember Paul's talking to them about money, though. Should we and do we need to talk about money from time to time? The answer is yes. Yes, because Paul did. And the reason Paul brings it up with Corinth instead of the Macedonian churches is Macedonia was doing great. Corinth, not so much. They started out well in the past, but they were struggling at this point. And so Paul reminds them to excel at the grace of giving. He's going to mention that in a minute. Yes, Paul, and he does multiple times. 
If anything, I would have to say grace because we, we don't want to overdo it in this area. Talks on the topic a little too little. We leave it alone when sometimes we need to bring it up. And I don't mean that as pastor, the elders are failing. I mean that as we want to be a blessing and we don't want to look like the stereotype of always asking for money. I'll be honest with you. I've been asked for more money from schools, both public and private, than the church in my lifetime has ever asked of me. Now, I have given certainly more to churches. But if you want to be begged for money, go to a public school. If you want to be begged for more money, pay for your kid to go to a private school. And they'll keep, they both will keep asking. And I don't mean that as a knock on our schools. We absolutely should invest in education. It benefits all of us. But we need to, from time to time, with our friends in our Sunday school classes, even from the pulpit, teach on giving. And the way we handle it at Grace, and this is my favorite way to handle any topic, is just as we go through a chapter or a book in the Bible, We talk about what it talks about, and that's typically how we do it. But tragically, the American church is struggling in so many ways that the Corinthians did, and that includes giving. We, like Corinth, need to hear Paul's words. So look at 2, verse 2 and verse 6. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, a perfect combination for giving, welled up in rich generosity. Who, when you're broke, doesn't decide to give more? And the answer is Macedonian churches. They exploded in poverty and faith to find a way to give even more of themselves. Perhaps not a total dollar amount compared to Corinth, which was rich. But in terms of willingness and percentage, maybe, I don't know the specifics. But they were known for giving despite They're low circumstances. Verse 6. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. God wants his people to be generous. I don't just mean giving to the church here. But we've known the lavishness of God's grace and provision. And it ought to affect us in every way, including our pocketbooks and our financial habits, our hearts, because of God's grace and provision, should shine financially. Not so much in a dollar amount, but in a willingness to see God use whatever dollar amounts he provides for us. Verse 7, this is where that key phrase comes from. You'll hear me use it multiple times, excel at the grace of giving. Verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, those should be true of grace, even though I'm going to leave them alone today. But here's Paul's point to Corinth and to us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. He tells us to excel at the grace of giving. That's the key to our finances, by the way. It's not just to manage to give but to excel at giving, to excel at the grace of giving. We're supposed to become good at giving, to be experts at it. 
The world should look at us in many ways and say they know finances and they know how to give to be generous. I got to find out what's going on with these people. And our response, as with everything else, would be, Jesus came into my life. Well, what does that have to do with finances? Well, let me tell you. Why don't we go to coffee and let me share with you how Jesus affected, among everything else, my money. Verse 3, by the way, if you look at it, even calls it a privilege. When was the last time you wrote a check to anything, whether online or physically, and thought, all right, I get to pay more for cleats this year because my kid grew out of them. We're excited to see our kids grow, but not so much when we have to go pay Walmart even more again for another pair of what they just had and aren't worn out yet. More than that, we are supposed to enjoy giving. Look at verse 11 in chapter 8, and then we'll jump back to 9 for a second. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And in chapter 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're supposed to enjoy it. We excel at the grace of giving when we're cheerful and we're willing. When God doesn't have to wrestle us to the mat until we tap out, fine, you can have my money too. We stomp away. But when God taps us on the shoulder and he says, hey, you've been saving this up. You just didn't know what it was for. Here you go. As with many things that I'm going to say today, ask any longtime Christian who has been faithful in the spiritual discipline of giving, and they will tell stories of the many times God has done that to them. I was saving for this, and God made it very clear I didn't even have to think or pray about it. He said, No, it's for this. It's for this instead. And don't worry, often this happens too. But God loves to mess with us in a good way by changing what we saved the money for. And so we excel at the grace of giving when we are cheerful and willing. God wants us to find joy in giving, to give from desire and not coercion. Now, does that mean we shouldn't give unless we feel like it? I don't have to write a check today to that missions agency because I don't feel it today. It's just not in my heart. I really want this instead. No. We should have the spiritual discipline of doing what God says until we feel like it, not waiting until we feel like it to act. What do you think God would say to someone who didn't feel like providing for their kid? That's all right. Wait until you feel like it. We'd have starving teenagers. I love my teens. I don't always feel like doing what they want me to or even need sometimes. Or I don't feel like praying. Pray anyways. Or loving your neighbor. Or abstaining from theft. Or not killing that coworker. There are certainly some coworkers that deserve to be killed, aren't there? Okay, that's awkward if you laughed. I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's a little uncomfortable. Just kidding. No, I don't want to kill any of my coworkers. At least not today. 
You don't have to wonder. He wrote books about all of those things. And he doesn't want us to wait until we feel it. He wants us to trust him and enjoy grace until we can enjoy it. And that is true with giving. Statistically, giving cheerful, willingly, and as a spiritual discipline is no longer the forte of American church and faith. I don't know if it ever was, but I can say it isn't true now. Here's what that relevant article I mentioned earlier has to say. And I have to warn you, it uses the word tithe, which really sets some people off. Tithe is a strict 25%. No, that is not commanded for Christians. In the Old Testament, that was just a start, by the way. It went way beyond that. But relax. We're talking about giving. Whether you accidentally use the word tithe or you plan on 10% because it's really simple math, I'll probably say that again. It isn't commanded. There's no tithe commanded of Christians, but that's the language the article uses. Okay? So again, MikeHolmesRelevant.com from March 8, 2016. Quote, Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving at 2.5% per capita. During the Great Depression, they gave it a 3.3% rate. End quote for a minute. Let that sink in. I'm going to read that last part again. Christians are only giving at 2.5% per capita. During the Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate. Our fathers in the faith found a way to give more when they had less. Again, quote, numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really the point. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal, end quote. The problem of American giving is not a shortage of wealth, but of willingness, or perhaps regularity. But what about grace? Certainly, our church, the one I love, is different, isn't it? Are we excelling at the grace of giving? Here's some stats from grace, and before anybody panics, I didn't look at anybody's particular information. I know generalities, and I never care to know specifics. That's true of our pastors at grace. We don't find out who gave what. We don't want to know. And it's not to guilt trip anyone, but sometimes it's necessary to look in the mirror. This is the mirror of our statistics. We have 281 given unit, giving units. Of those 281, 50% give less than quarterly or less than every three months. So it's down to 140 now. Of the remaining 150, only half give on a monthly basis. That's basically 70 regular giving units. A little higher if we have people who can only give regularly on a quarterly basis or that's how their income comes in is quarterly and I don't, I don't know how to break those down. Now that might be better than the article stats. It certainly is, I, I believe. But that still means most regular attendees at Grace don't give regularly. Grace, this may be a hard truth to hear, but if Grace, the church, is to excel at the grace of giving, 
We need more of our people to start giving and then remember to give once they start. We need that. Again, just look at the back of your bulletin. And the article also mentioned giving as a percentage of income. This is where even faithful givers sometimes grow a little anxious. Stay with me. Uh, James, you can talk about giving, but don't talk about how much. Well, Paul does, generally, but he still does. Here's some Santa Maria statistics. The average income in Santa Maria is above $64,000. The average income in Orchid is higher. And I've seen both of these, either at $68,000, pretty close to Santa Maria, or much higher at $77,000. If it's that second number, all you have to do to get a bigger paycheck is move to Orchid. <laughs> if only it were that easy. One other number just for reference for the next numbers I'm going to give you. The poverty level in California, according to the government, starts at about 24,000 and grows depending on the size of the family. Side note, Grace, I want to thank you for not starving your pastors. I know plenty of pastors who their churches suggest a number below the California poverty level. That's offensive. I understand that it's a calling, and that calling might be living lowly, but if our government says this is poverty and our churches say, ah, who cares? We have a problem. But keep those numbers in mind. 64,000, 68,000, 77,000 average income. Average. That doesn't mean you're making that. I wish you were making at least average or more. But that's not the promise. The promise is we take everybody's numbers and we divide by the number of people to get the average. And poverty at 24,000. If our giving units used the author's 10%, then it seems, according to our numbers, half of us are living below the poverty line. And on average, we make more, no more, excuse me, on average we make no more, according to our stats, assuming 10%, which is not a fair assumption, but just because we've got to guess at something. On average, it seems we make no more than half of the average salary for our community. Now, perhaps things have changed since Pastor Benji was hired. But before he came, when we were doing a survey of Grace and looking for a new pastor, the stats for Grace came back at above the $77,000 average for Orchid. I believe it was a little over $78,000. That's what we said about our own incomes at the time. Now, if during the, these five years that he's been here, we've significantly evangelized and discipled the lower-income parts of our community like never before, we'd actually have reason to be ecstatic, even if it means our average giving goes down because our average income goes down. That'd be wonderful. If Grace was struggling because we reached those who make less money and that affected us, then God's grace will carry us through. We don't ever have to be afraid of that. But I don't think any of you would argue that's actually the case. I wish it were, but I don't think any of us honestly would argue that. And if you do, by the way, your youth pastor would be happy to have a healthy discussion with you sometime over lunch. Because we've stopped running the bus to certain parts of the city because we weren't reaching them. It isn't because our driver wasn't there. It's because we weren't picking people up anymore. And often, that bus ride was connected to both distance but also income. Whether you had two cars and the time to drive your kid to Awana or youth group. 
Grace, we need to excel at the giving of grace, not wallow in the American problem of wealth without willingness. In order to excel at the grace of giving, we ought to see not just more giving units, but apparently more giving per unit on average, no matter how hard that might be to hear. Now here's a lofty goal. I, I like these, this may be too big, and again, averages. This doesn't mean every individual, this means averages. Here's a lofty goal, I'll give you a smaller one later. If over the next three years, grace can average 250 giving units, that's actually less, that average $500 per month, that's more, we would not only make budget, we would pay off the mortgage before needing to refinance. We refinance in 2020. If we can up our average giving from 300 to 500, I know that's a big jump. We not only make budget every year, we knock out our debt. I know this is financing 201. It's actually not. It's, it's not even financing 101. Debt's not fun. And if you can take out debt, do it. If you can't, God's grace will carry you through. Pay it off. Slowly if you need to. Grace, how neat would that be? To take the budget amount for our mortgage and think about, dream about what ministries we could start or what missionaries we could support or how we could connect with our city. All by taking out the debt. We need to be faithful and look at our budgeting process and eliminate excess where we don't need it, especially when it's tight. But the other thing to look at is if we give more and we take out the debt, we just tackled both problems at one time. I know that's a big change, but we have a big God, and he is certainly capable of enabling us to give regularly and where applicable to give more. So how do we do that? Paul's not done. How can we excel at the grace of giving? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 again. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We excel at the grace of giving when we yield our finances to God. Go to God. You don't need to come to me as a pastor. You don't need to go to the elders. Go to God. If we use the 10% of the article, just because it's easy math, certainly not a requirement, nor, by the way, is it a limit. The direction here is to figure it out on your own with God. Talk to God. Pray about your finances. Pray with your budget over your budget. And if you're married, make sure you talk to your spouse. If you have kids, you don't need to get permission from them. But if they're old enough, you might involve them in the process. So they see their parents yielding finances to God and being responsible with finances. And I can promise you this next generation needs help discovering that. They are struggling. And when they go to college and the, and the credit cards hit them up with free pizza, they don't know how to handle it. I mean, seriously, give a college student pizza, you can get them to do almost anything. Perhaps as you're talking to God and talking with your spouse and maybe even involving your kids with that or at least showing them what your budget is, and instead of just saying we don't have the money, you say we're choosing to use our money differently, that's a very important distinction for kids, for students. No, you can't go to your eighth movie of the week. We're choosing to use our money differently. Are we broke? No, we're not broke. We've made a choice. Perhaps that discussion as you're praying 
and as you're talking to your spouse, maybe you can only give 1%, but maybe it's 5%. If you've never given anything and you are living at or below poverty, maybe 1% to 5% is all you can do. By the grace of God, we don't have a 10% command. It's freeing that God doesn't look at you and say, you have to give this much or you have failed me. Because the God of grace simply doesn't say that. He actually goes the other way. You failed me. Enjoy grace. It's a much better relationship. But what if God is saying, forget 10%. Try 11 or 12. Many of us can and certainly should give more rather than less. There have been moments in our lives when Tiff and I have, have had to say no. No, we can't support that. We really want to, but we don't have the money. More often, though, we've had a giving goal and we've discovered God's enabling us to do more, not less. So what if God's challenging you to give 15%, 20%, 25%? What if, unlike you, God doesn't think the U.S. tax code is so offensive and he's asking for 30% or 50%? What if it's a reverse tithe? There's some popular Christian American authors that are known for doing this. 90%. You make enough money to live off of 10% and give away 90%. Before you get mad about Rick Warren's book sales and megachurch because of some internet clickbait or somebody you talked to that said he's Satan incarnate, he's known for giving 90% and living off of 10%. He's not perfect. He needs God's grace. He'll be the first to admit that. But careful how you try to dismantle him because you disagree with him on a particular point of church or theology. If you own your house outright, you've been at your job for 20 years, or you make more than $100,000 after taxes, turn the question from how little can I get away with to how much can I give away? How much fun can I have in giving? How many different places can I find that I love to give to? On the other hand, if you're barely scraping by and just above California poverty level, God isn't asking you 100%, but he's certainly telling you to excel at the grace of giving with 100%, excuse me, 100% willingness. In fact, the passage even mentions not being, feeling guilty or being shamed by what you can't do. Chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. We excel at the grace of giving when we give what we have rather than worry about what we don't. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says to give in keeping with your income. Everyone should excel at the grace of giving. If we have more, give more. If you have less, give what you can. I would love to give away cars like Oprah. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. I'd love to do that. I can't. And so I'm content to just buy a car with lots of seatbelts and then take it on every youth event that we have and for my son's track team to use it for the school for track. And I mentioned before, if you're struggling with the church talking about giving, 
when people go on our youth events, we offer to reimburse them. When I go with the track team, it's coming out of my pocket. There is no offer to reimburse. The schools are desperate for money. You can argue over why, but the reality is teachers pay for paper. It's a sad reality. Everyone should excel in the grace of giving. I'd love to fully fund every missionary I know. I can't. And so I'm content to support each one a little each month and then pray for them with my family on Monday nights. That's what we do. The Lanier's are students of mine. I would love to just send them and have them never worry about money again. And so I leave them in the hands of God who sends them, and hopefully Grace and others are faithful that they would never have to worry about money again. But I can't do it on my own, nor is God asking me to. And one of the keys to excelling at the grace of giving is that phrase I just used a little each month. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I, can, when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is one of our biggest struggles. It's regular. I forgot my checkbook. I just didn't remember this month. Well, we ran out. We were hoping to be able to do this, but we just ran out of money by the end of the month. While we too often convince ourselves that we don't have enough, our biggest problems might be forgetfulness with a little bit of failing to budget wisely. It's the Old Testament concept of first fruits. For us, it would be monthly or bi-monthly, whichever you get paid, or for some of you, quarterly. Giving should be intentional, regular, and first rather than last. God, I trust you, not God, oops, Although, again, grace. Trust God by starting with giving rather than hoping there's something left to give in the end. This should be easier than ever given modern simplicity and convenience. Budgeting software, online baking, you can even give through the church app. You can magically tell your bank account to regularly send money to whatever you want. They'll even take care of the stamp. It's amazing. We need to excel at the grace of giving by excelling at giving intentionally and regularly. And so it's time to stop talking about turkey or talking turkey and time to start actually making and cooking that turkey. How do we do that? Excel at the grace of giving by putting it in your personal budget. There's a quick budget on there. If you've never budgeted, this is not a great one. I can give you a much more detailed one, but I couldn't fit it on a half of a half sheet. Start with your income. Amazing concept. What do you actually make? Those of you who have varying incomes, take, don't take the average, take the minimum. If you live off of tips because you're a waiter and you're, hope, you're averaging your budget off of, off of the high or the, med, med, the middle, let's say that word right, you need to go with the bottom. What's the least you ever get? That's your income, like it or not. Now for taxes, you gotta go with the real number, but for your budget, you gotta go with a practical number. Because if you budget off your average, guess what happens on a low month? You're out of money and you still need to buy groceries. That's bad. I don't have to tell you that. Some of you face it. Set your budget off the low. And then before you get expenses, subtract giving. What do you feel in that conversation with God and your spouse? You need to give regularly and subtract that. And then take a look at your expenses And if you're stuck because that doesn't come up to your income, find somebody to help you out. 
Talk more about that in a second too. But after your expenses are out, if you have extra money or you don't, you just wanna make a wish list someday, this is what I'd love to get if God, you ever increase my salary, make a note of extra giving. What would you like to give to? If money weren't an issue, what would you add in? This is what I tell our seniors and our college students and in premarital counseling about giving. First, excel at giving to grace at your church. If you go somewhere else regularly, them, not us. Not that we're going to turn somebody's money down most of the time, but your church home. Give to them first. If you're broke, still find a way to give something. If it's a buck, fine. Give a dollar. Cultivate the spiritual discipline of giving. And watch what God does through that. If you're not broke, not whether you think you're not broke, but you're not actually broke. You might struggle with budgeting, but you're not broke. Unless you have something else in mind through prayerful conversation with God, Go with 10%, simple math. To repeat, it's not mandatory, but there's nothing wrong with it either. Don't be afraid of 10%. Then, after your basic giving, excel at giving a grace when there's something extra. Camp scholarship, Navajo, I'm a little partial to those too. Mortgage reduction, how cool to get rid of that debt. If we ever have uh, an official campaign to get rid of the mortgage, can you give a little bit more to do that? Even if you can only give a dollar, It's more than a dollar because it's the interest that's eliminating. And here's an idea. I told you I'd give you a more manageable one. We have a shortfall. Let me give you an unofficial shortfall challenge. If we averaged 100 more per giving giving unit over the next two months, there is no shortfall at the end of the year. It magically goes away. That's 200 bucks. I know that's 200 bucks. I, I live knowing what $200 is. It's not easy. But how many things do we drop $200 on without thinking about it? Certainly going out on a monthly basis. Now, 10 bucks at McDonald's may not be, feel big to you, but if you go 20 times, that's $200. Then, after giving to your church, excel at giving to meet other needs, things that you fall in love with. Pick a missionary to support. Pick several missionaries to support. To support the Wrights, the Lanier's, Ellen Castillo in town. Give to our missionaries through Christmas in October. It's wonderful. It's out there in the lobby. One last Sunday to do so. Find some parachurch ministries that catch and match your heart and your passions. God wants us to be generous, but he wants us to enjoy it. Hume Lake, Lopez Christian Conference Center, CareNet, Central Coast Rescue Mission, World Visions Christmas Catalog. Parents, when your kids get money for their birthday or Christmas, take them here. They don't need to give to Grace yet. It's kind of boring as a kid. I give to my church. What? But who doesn't want a goat? And as a parent, it's not a goat you have to take care of. Even better, go on their catalog. There's a couple others. Let your kid pick a goat and then go waste their money on video games. By the way, for your kid's sake, before you think it's a total waste, it helps stave off dementia. So video games are not all bad. I'm not making that up. There are studies to demonstrate that. It's the modern crossword puzzle. It helps down the, down the road. Or packing, Tetris and packing. That's a match made in heaven. In heaven. Baptist Haiti Mission's current disaster relief because Haiti got hit hard again. It's one of the poorest nations in the world. And every couple years it gets destroyed. Their government certainly is not helping recovery, but the Baptist Haiti Mission is. 
We're fans of that here at Grace. Child sponsorships through various Christian organizations, Christian colleges, Biola University, Eternal Bible College, Indian Bible College, and Flagstaff. There's like 20 kids. It's unaccredited. It teaches them how to go serve uh, indigenous peoples across the country. It trains them in ministry that they can go back on the reservation and do good ministry. Gives them bachelors. It's unaccredited. It doesn't count for anything else, but it counts. I can, I can give you more information about that if you want. Find ways to excel at the grace of giving. Excel by having fun, looking for what God is already doing around the world and finding a way to give $25, $10, even just $5 a month. Excel at the grace of giving by paying attention to the Holy Spirit when he points out a need. James, you got 20 bucks in your pocket. It wasn't to go out again. You need to cut that out. But they need food. And I don't normally give to people on the street. I actually encourage against that. But there are times when I know it's the Holy Spirit because it certainly isn't my practice. And I have fun when that happens and one of my kids is around pointing that out to them. Just remember, Dad usually gives this way, but I'm convinced the Holy Spirit's telling us to buy a hamburger. Here you go. And my kids get to see that, not because I want my ego to be flattered, but because I want my kids to see giving take place. Excel at the grace of giving by taking up God's challenge in Malachi 3. Watch what I do. We don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, but there is certainly an obvious passage where people pull that from. It isn't true. They blow it way out of proportion, but God is daring his people in Malachi. Give, and I'll give. And again, every Christian who's been faithful in the spiritual discipline of giving has story upon story of those moments. Of You know what? I was so concerned about this need. God said give, and I struggled, and I did. And either God provided or God removed the need. One of the two. Also, if you need to excel at the grace of giving by admitting your struggle with finances, you're not alone. Do you need help getting them straight? Talk to Pastor Greg about the next Financial Peace University. We have one going on on Sunday nights right now, but they're far enough into it, you can't just hop in. And by the way, you can get more than Dave Dave Ramsey said or suggests for a budget if you want to. It's okay. Speaking of budgets, Grace Budget comes out soon. Pray over it along with your budget as you consider your giving for next year. November 20th and December 4th, there are business meetings for our budget. If you're a member, you need to be there unless you can't. I'm going to be out of town. I can't be there for that one, that first one. It's the worst attended meeting at Grace. We have prayer meetings that are bigger than this meeting sometimes. Both of those should shame us. Well, not shame us. Motivate us to action. We don't need to be shamed. Because of grace, we don't ever need to be shamed. Members, you need to get involved, not just in giving, but in the budgeting process. If you don't like something about the budgeting process, those are the times to take care of it, November 20th. Now, don't just go to gripe or for your special particular niche. Go to support what God's going to do through grace next year. Pray about the budget when it comes out and be at those meetings to offer support. Not to complain, but to offer support. If you're not a member, but you're regularly attending Grace, become a member. It's time to own Grace, and it's time to own your part of giving at Grace. 
Be the family. Don't pretend at being the family. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. I know I'm going long. Ask my students. They're used to it. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Those giving regularly, keep it up. Thank you for your faithfulness. If you're able to give more, and I don't know your specifics, but just going by the statistics, many of us can probably give a little more. Excel at the grace of giving and watch what God does in and through you. Those of you who call grace home but are not giving, it's time to start giving. Here's the number one reason. You're missing out. You're missing out on the privilege of giving and participating in this part of God's work. And it's so much fun when God captures your heart in regard to giving. And I don't mean this in a shaming way. It certainly might sound like it. I really don't. I don't mean this in a shaming way. It's simply a current reality. Not only are you missing out, but grace is paying part of the consequence. That's a fact. It's not to condemn you. We don't condemn here at Grace. And the reason we don't is God's grace that we celebrate. But it is a reality. There's a shortfall. Those visiting, thanks for sitting through a family discussion. We aren't asking you to give to grace. But I hope you fall in love with us. And I hope you call grace your home someday. More importantly, I hope you enjoy God's grace through faith in Christ. It's the only reason I can say and read any of what I just said whether it's here or somewhere else, I hope that someday you find a church home where you can excel at the grace of giving and join God in what he's doing both close to home and around the world. But one last issue. Beyond just giving in grace or missions or financial need, grace, we need to excel at being generous in every way. Invite people over. Take them out to dinner. Tip more when you go out, especially if you're talking about church and faith. Volunteer here in the schools, wherever you can see God opening doors to use you. And oh, by the way, since it's Halloween tomorrow, get the good candy. If you can, and maybe you can, and that's okay. Maybe you already bought everything, and that's all right. But maybe even go get the regular size candy bars so you're the coolest house on the block. And then, by the way, or right after this, by the way, at both welcome centers, we have a sheet of paper for you. Take one per home, make copies of it. It's just an invite to grace for kids, youth, and I want it. You'll have some youth that walk around and try to get free candy. Be generous, give it to them. Do they deserve it? No, they're teenagers. But do they, but do they want it? Yes. And can you reach out? Through generosity? Absolutely. If a teenager walks, I work with teens, I know this. If a teenager walks up with the lamest costume ever, they threw on a t-shirt, cut a hole in it, and smeared some makeup on their face, and like, nah. They walk up. You're like, what is that, a zombie? No, it's not. It's lazy. But still, they walk up, give them a candy bar. They'll be amazed. They're teenagers. They're very easily pleased. Pizza, candy bar. That's how I make a living. <laughs> and then I talk way too much like I'm doing now. Go get one of those papers, run them off, put a rubber band around that or staple it or something. I don't know. Just make it look like, make it obvious you didn't tamper with the candy. 
put your name on the back if it's somebody you know so they know who to talk to and invite them to the youth ministries in Awana here at Grace, to Sunday school, to the worship services here at Grace. Take your money and watch what God does when you give a kid one little peanut butter cup. Now, I have to finish with this about that. And then keep in mind, it's not fair to send 100 more kids to Randy at Awana without 20 more listeners. He needs help. I'll take 50 more youth, but I need 10 to 15 more military, middle management, moms and dads to help me out. I mean, I'll take them either way, but that controlled chaos goes to straight chaos if I don't have the staff for it. So by all means, take one of these sheets, pick them up, and then take them home. Worship team, I'm going to have to cut you off on this one. We'll finish for sure on the second one because there's no service after that. We can go as long as we want. (laughs) But we're going to close with this. I'm going to give the benediction because I'm way over time straight from here. Let's pray. Lord, bless us. Meet our needs that we wouldn't have to worry. But Lord, I pray this. Don't ever let us get so rich we don't have to depend on you. Both individually and as a church. But Lord, meet our needs. Lord, amaze us. Your grace is so lavish. It's so big. Lord, amaze us. And may the world notice when they see that we use our pocketbooks differently. Lord, may the world take notice even on Halloween in Santa Maria in 2016 that we don't hold to money desperately because we have a God who owns everything. Lord, we praise your name. Amen. You're dismissed.